And so while that's happening, let's go in our Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, that's, if you have one of our Bibles, that's on page 742. Page 742 in one of the Bibles on the back rack. And don't be uh, one of those people that's like, well, I can't find it. Every Bible has a table of contents, okay? Don't be ashamed to go to the front and find what page it's on in your Bible. We would love for you to join us in there. If you weren't with us last week, we jumped into Jonah and we looked at Jonah chapter 1 and we saw that God called the prophet Jonah to a town called Nineveh. He, and God wanted Jonah to preach this message of judgment against the city of Nineveh, which is the, the enemy of Israel. They were Assyrians, they were the enemy of Israel, but Jonah did not want to go there. Uh, he did not want to follow God, so he decides to get away from God, and instead of heading toward Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction. He goes to the harbor, he gets on a ship, and he starts to sail away in the complete opposite direction. Long story short, we end up reading that Jonah gets thrown overboard by the sailors so that the storm would stop, but we saw that God will do whatever it takes to bring us to himself, and so we read at the end of chapter 1 that by God's pursuing grace, he appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And so the question that I'm left asking, and hopefully you are too, is why? Why does God appoint a great fish to swallow up Jonah saving him. Why would God save Jonah by his mercy and grace when Jonah literally rebels against God? He's a prophet. He's supposed to speak the words of God to people, but instead he goes the opposite direction. God could have literally just left him in the water and said, good riddance, right? He could have said, hey, we're, I'm done with you. I'll use someone else. And so that's what we're going to look at. Why does God pursue Jonah with his grace. And we're going to see that in Jonah chapter 2. So let's go in our Bibles to Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's the entire chapter. I'm going to read it here in full. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock, gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on God, on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. 
And so in the midst of chapter 2, we ask the question, why did God show Jonah grace and mercy in the midst of his rebellion and his disobedience? And here's why. Because when Jonah sunk all the way to the bottom, he finally surrendered to God. How true is it that sometimes you have to sink to finally surrender? Right? Sometimes you have to sink to finally surrender. You see, we're here today and we have to understand that sinking can happen a few different ways. Maybe you're like my friend and his choices led him to sinking to the bottom. He shared with me his story on how he had this, this amazing personal life. He had a business that was booming. He had a beautiful family. But yet his decisions after decisions after his decisions led him to sink all the way to the bottom. And he actually said this phrase to me. He said, I destroyed everything and I was completely hopeless. You see, because of my friend's decisions in life, he found himself at the bottom. He found himself literally sinking in his life and he said, it was, that was it. That was the bottom. I was hopeless. Or maybe you're someone in here today where maybe your decisions aren't why you're sinking. Maybe it's circumstances that are out of your control, that you are sinking today. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Maybe you you lost a job recently. Maybe you set your expectations too high and they weren't met. I could go on with this. Maybe there are certain things in life that are just happening that you just feel this weight upon you like you're sinking to the bottom. No matter how we get to the bottom, though, whether it's through our choices or through our circumstances that are out of control, the bottom line this morning is that sometimes we have to sink to finally surrender. Sometimes we have to sink to finally surrender. And so Jonah chapter 2 actually shows us how Jonah surrendered to God finally once he hit the bottom, okay? But before we get into the actually going through verse by verse, basically through the whole entire chapter, we have to get the right context here. And so remember, at the end of chapter 1, the sailors throw Jonah overboard. And when I was a child, I caught all the pictures I colored about Jonah, which by the way... It's a weird children's story because, like, here, this, this fish ate a person, right? And yet we want to make this this beautiful story. But it is. But it's interesting. So Jonah, all the pictures I colored as a kid, it was like a little pretty boat. The sun was out, which is weird because it's stormy. And um, the, Jonah gets thrown overboard. And then there's a smiling fish sticking its head out of the water waiting to catch Jonah in the mouth, right? That's, I, I feel like you've colored that picture in your life as well, Okay. You see, we got to get that out of, the head, out, out of our minds. That's not what happened. And we just read it in chapter 2. We have to get the right context. When we read Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, we actually notice that verses 2 through, two through 7 are in past tense. And so that means that this prayer, Jonah is recounting what happened after he got thrown overboard and before the fish entered and swallowed him up. So we have to get the right context of what's happening. And so Jonah is literally praying inside the fish, okay? So think of that context first. And he's recounting what had just happened to him, just like we do on a daily basis, right? 
When a ridiculous story happens, we want to recount it to other people. And that's what Jonah is doing. He's telling his story on how he finally surrendered to God, okay? And so that's where we're going to start from. And so uh, really, we're going to look at three steps of how to surrender to God. And so the first one we see in verses, verses 1 and 2. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. So there's your context, right? There's your setting. That's what's happening. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. The first step of surrendering is always crying out to God is always crying out to God. Jonah in these verses is in great trouble and he literally says, I was in the land of the dead. Or in other words, he's saying, I was a goner. I was gone. But yet in the midst of his trouble, in the midst of his sinking, he does the only thing he can do at that point. He cries out to God. And this makes perfect sense because that's what we do from the moment of birth, don't we? When a newborn is born, they don't come out all happy and cheery, do they? No, they're crying out in distress. When a child is having hunger pains, you bring that child home and that child gets hungry, what do they do? They cry out for help. They can't feed themselves. When a toddler gets hurt, they cry out for rescue. When an adult falls through the ice, well, if we have ice, no one is around. They cry out for someone to save them, right? Crying out is like a natural reaction that we have in our physical lives, and yet that's absolutely the reaction that we should have in our spiritual lives as well. It should be our first step to surrendering to God. Jonah's in trouble. He can't save himself. So for the first time in this whole ordeal, he cries out to God. All of chapter 1, nothing. He doesn't say anything to God. In fact, he doesn't care. He thinks he can handle the storm on his, on his own. He looks at the water and he says, I can handle this. I can swim. And yet he comes to find out he can't. And so why does he cry out to God, though, when it's God who he's trying to run away from? Why does he try, cry out to God when it's God who he's trying to hide from? Well, he tells us in his prayer. Verse 4. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Now, this idea of holy temple Remember, Old Testament, where is God present? In the temple. And so what he's basically saying is, is I'm going to look once more toward your presence. And then in verse 7, you go down a few verses. He says, as my life was slipping away, okay? So as he's gasping for air, as he's writhing in the water, he said, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Or in other words, my prayer went into your presence. You see, it was in the midst of him going to the bottom, sinking, that he remembers the Lord. He remembers all the stories he heard. Remember, he's a prophet. He knows God. He knows what's happened to Israel. He remembers that God led Israel through the Red Sea, right? 
split the waters, that God led them in the desert, that God tore down the walls of Jericho, that God defeated Goliath. He remembers how powerful God truly is. And he said, I cried out to God, but it's only after he sinks. It's only after his life is slipping away that he cries out for salvation and rescue. But the most beautiful part about all of this is not Jonah crying out, but it's the fact that the Lord heard him. Go back to verse 2. He said, I cried out to the Lord my, in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called out to, from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You heard me. In the midst of our sinking, our first reaction should be to cry out to God because he hears us. When my children cry out for me, I hear them and I go to them. In fact, we put our kids to bed at like seven or eight. I have three little kids. They're insane. Um, I put them to bed and for about the next hour, hour, all I hear is them crying out to me, right? Because they're hungry, thirsty, bathroom, everything. Need to get this, that, that, right? It's like the most important time is that hour. They cry out to me, and I, because I love them, I, I, I hear them. I go to them. I help them, right? Now, if I can do that for my kids as a flawed human being, as a flawed father, how much more will the God of the universe do that for you? If I can come around my kids and help them and hear them and be there for them and rescue them, how much more can God do that for you if you simply cry out to him? God hears us, but we have to cry out. We have to surrender. That's the first step Jonah takes to surrender. The next step he takes to surrender is that he confesses God's control and his desperate circumstance. He confesses God's control in this whole situation and he confesses that he, he's desperate in this point. Right? He needs God to work. Look at verse 3. It says, You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy ways. You see in this verse how Jonah is attributing everything he's going to, through to God? And yet in chapter 1, we read that the sailors were the one that threw him into the water. He could have easily said, God, those sailors were super mean and they threw me overboard. But he's confessing this idea that it's not the sailor's fault, but yet God has him in the water for a reason. He's confessing God's control in the midst of his circumstance. You could even argue that Jonah was the one that made the decision to go in the water. And yet in that verse, we still see that God is the one that has him there. Jonah did not dictate this situation. The sailors didn't dictate it, but rather God did. But why? Why would God allow Jonah to be thrown into this stormy waves, into the sea, and experience what he experienced? Well, why do parents discipline their children? Right? 
Why do parents discipline their children? Listen, God is a loving father who disciplines his children. In Jonah chapter 1, we absolutely know that Jonah was rebellious. You may have a rebellious child. They may be sitting next to you right now, okay? You know about how children are rebellious. Jonah is rebelling against God. He doesn't want to go where God called him to go. And so God is a loving father is disciplining Jonah. He's allowing him to go through what he's going through so he can learn, right? We discipline our children. I hope we discipline our children. I hope you do. I don't discipline my children because I'm, I'm, I want to be mean to them, yet they would say different. I don't discipline my kids because I hate them. I discipline them because I love them. And I want them to thrive. I want them to grow. I want them to go the right way. I want them to be obedient. You see, Jonah confesses God's control, and he realizes in the midst of his sinking that this is for his good, that this is for his good. And so not only does he confess God's control, but he also confesses his deepest circumstance. And listen, sometimes You may be sinking, and it's not God disciplining you. It may be God building you up. It may be God working in your heart in some way that you can't see right now. And so our decisions that lead us to rock bottom, yes, absolutely, God may allow us to sink, to teach us, to rebuke us, to build us up. But but if you're going through a circumstance in life, it may be God trying to get your attention. It may be God saying, I'm here. And I'm here for you. God is in control. But also, we have to confess. We have to confess our desperate circumstance. We have to be honest with ourselves. We all struggle with that. I know I do as well. Jonah 2, 5, and 6. He, he gets super honest here. He says, I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped it, itself around my head. So he literally, where is seaweed? It's at the bottom, right? He's literally at the bottom. Seaweed is wrapping around his head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. Jonah knew that God was in control, but Jonah also knew that he couldn't save himself. He also understood his desperate circumstance. He had to be honest with himself in that moment. He had to be honest that he couldn't save himself. He couldn't walk out of the water. He needed God to work. I love what Peter Craigie says. He says, but not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency. I love that phrase. Buoyant self-sufficiency. When he was stripped away from it, was deliverance possible? I can almost imagine Jonah kind of on the boat, and the sailors are about to throw him in. And he's looking at the water like, I can handle this. How often do we do that? We look at tough situations. We look at this storm, and we're like, all right, yeah, I'll get through this. I can do this. Thinking of your own buoyant self-sufficiency, and yet once you're tossed into the water, guess what? You're like lead. You go all the way to the bottom. You see, sometimes we need to be honest that we can't handle it, that we can't go through it, that we need God to rescue us. 
You see, we need to commit, sorry, we need to cry out to God. We need to confess our desperate circumstances. And the last point that we see in Jonah is that we need to commit to follow God. We need to commit to follow God. Look at verse 2, 8 through 9. It says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Why does Jonah say this? Right? Verses 2 through 7 are all this prayer. He's recounting the past. Well, he's saying this because he was saved by God's grace or mercies in this moment. Or in other words, the fish had swallowed him up in the story, right? He's recounting what had happened, and then all of a sudden verse 7 happened, and the fish swallowed him up, and he's able to switch to present tense and reveal to us, hey, because of what you did, God, here's what I'm going to do. And he commits to fulfill his vows to God. He commits to follow God in his life because God brought him out of the pit. God's grace pursued him to the depths of the sea. Because of what Jonah experiences in his sinking and being saved, he finally surrenders and recommits to the one who saves him. But I love what Jonah does here. He wants all of us to understand that not only does God save, but God alone saves. Go back to that verse real quick. For my salvation, the last line there, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Salvation comes from the Lord alone. God's people are prone to worship idols. And if you don't know what an idol is, an idol is something that you put in God's place in your life. Something where you take God away from and you put that thing, whether it be whatever it may may be, money, family, kids, wealth, jobs, whatever. You put it there, that's an idol. If it takes your focus and thought away from God, it's an idol. God's people are prone to do that. And yet it was at the bottom of the sea that Jonah said, those idols have no hope. They offer nothing. Those idols can't save you. Only God can. When Jonah sank, he realized that nothing could save him except for God and God alone. And look at that verse one last time. Isn't that amazing? For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. That's literally a summary of the entire Bible in one phrase. My salvation comes from the Lord alone. That's why we commit to follow God, because God is powerful enough to save us. And of course, because he saves us, that means we should follow him, right? We should commit our lives to him because of what he did for us. And so Jonah, at the bottom, goes through this experience that many of us go through. And he takes three steps of surrender. He cries out to God. He confesses that God is in control And then his desperate circumstance. 
And then he commits his life to God. He says, I will fulfill my vow. I will follow you in my life. And then look what happens. Once he surrenders, verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. It was after he surrendered that God puts him onto dry land. Jonah goes from the boat to the water to the bottom to the fish and then to the land. And I'm excited to see what happens in chapter 3. All right? And you can read ahead if you want to. Okay? And so let's talk about next steps here. Let's talk about next steps because we summed it up pretty quick. And so the first next step I want to talk about today is this. Many of you in here are like, I'm not sinking. Okay? And you may be thinking like, hey, life is actually pretty good right now. God's blessing me. God's working. Things are happening, right? My marriage is clicking. My kids are awesome. Whatever it may be. If that's you, listen, you can surrender now before you sink, okay? Just remember that. All of us in here today, no matter where we're at, we can surrender before you sink. In fact, Jesus himself wants us to do that. And he says it right here in Matthew 16, 24. It said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That's literally the definition of surrender, giving up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, if you want to follow me, you need to surrender and pick up your cross because Jesus picked up his cross for us right? Jesus was the one that picked up his cross. He surrendered his life for you and for me. And so this idea of surrender is not a one-time thing, and yet we want to encourage this. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and said, you know what, Jesus? I am a sinner, and I do need your grace and mercy, and I do believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later. Well, guess what? You can surrender this morning. You can literally cry out to God and give up your own way and follow him. You can confess your desperate situation and you can commit your life to him. But if you're in here and you've already done that before, guess what? This idea of surrender is a daily decision. And so every morning you wake up, you have a choice to make. Jonah had a choice. You have a choice of whether or not you're going to surrender your life to Christ every day, saying, God, I need you. I need you. I'm going to follow you. And so that's a next step this morning. If things are going well and you're not sinking, I want to encourage you, surrender before you sink. Don't rely on your own self-sufficiency, your self buoyant self-sufficiency, but rely on the sufficiency of Christ in your life. And if you're here today and you are sunk, if you are sinking, you're sunk, you're at the bottom, I want to encourage you to take just one step. Just one. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're here today and you're at the bottom. Maybe you just need to cry out. 
Maybe you've doubted that God is even present or real. Guess what? He is. And when you cry out, your prayer will go right into his presence and and I guarantee he will hear you. Maybe you need to confess your desperate situation. Maybe you're too prideful to really understand this idea that you need God to save you. Give up your own way and allow God to work. Or maybe you've cried out, you've confessed. Maybe you need to commit your life back to Christ. Maybe you need to say, you know what, I've gone my own way for so long that today I'm going to commit and follow you. So if this is you, just take one step, whatever it may be. Spencer's out here right now. We're actually going to give you a moment right here in the service to do one of those things. To either surrender today before you sink or to take one step. And so he's going to lead us in a song. You can either respond by worship and singing along with him or you can take a moment to just bow your head and pray right there at your seat. But I want to encourage you to take these moments to take one step. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord, His mercies.
of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. But our sins, they are many, and his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy. How true is that today? I want to thank you so much for being here this morning. If you would like to pray with anybody, Spencer and I will be up here. We'll get a few other people. But if you just need to pray with someone, I just want to offer that to you today. But as you go here, just remember what surrender looks like. It begins with crying out to God and then confessing God's control in our desperate circumstance and then committing to follow him. And so I encourage you to do that every day this week, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your mercy. Even when we're at the bottom, even though we're sometimes sinking or we're sunk and the waves of life just seem too heavy, God, help us to give up our own way and follow you. God, work in our hearts and our lives so that we can move one step today. We pray this in your name. Amen.